Welcome to the Should I Stay or Should I Go podcast with me, Phil Brown. Best known as the founder and group chief executive officer of Absolute Commercial Interiors. Each episode, I'll be sitting down with influential figures and business leaders to have insightful conversations about the challenges that they've faced and how they help people and businesses to thrive and the lessons they've learned along the way. These conversations are being created to provide you, the listener, with insightful and detailed information that can aid your journey in the business world. So let's get right to it. Hello, good morning. Uh, I'm this morning joined by Hamish Morrison, the Joint Managing Partner for BHP, uh, accountants and uh, corporate finance advisors and general go-to gurus. So Hamish, tell me how you got into the world of accountancy and more especially your side of BHP, please. Okay. Um, so the background was I actually started off doing a geography degree and looked around the room and um, <laughs> whilst I love geography, I thought, I don't want to be a geography teacher and um, I need to do something different. So after a year, I actually swapped to do accountancy. So I was doing some modules and found that both quite interesting and thought there was a job at the end of it. Um, but I never wanted to go to university, which was the bit before that, I guess, whereby I didn't see the point in it. Um, interesting. Applied, this day, in applied, this day yeah, age, yeah. Definitely, yeah. And it's the, the advice I'd certainly give my daughter now yes. would be unless you're going to do something really, really relevant, then not to do it. My thank wife you. would probably have a different view. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. And just on that note, do BHP have accountancy apprenticeships? Yes, yeah. Great. So um, really, really keen to promote school leaders mm. joining us. Yeah. Battle right now. So we're waiting to do a PR piece because yeah. um, the schools are measured on number of people going to universities and going to the best universities yes and so in actual fact if you try and engage with some of these schools they don't want to engage with you at all correct so it's yeah it's a different for process Christmas. Yeah. yeah so um bit bit frustrating from our point of view and in, you know and especially from some of those areas where um it would be harder to, you'd have thought to have got a job with a firm like ourselves trying to engage with the schools in those areas, if it get even more so it becomes a case of if they've got this sort of individual we'd want to employ, mm. they're really keen to, to make sure they do go to university to keep their statistics up. So yes, yeah, a vicious circle, isn't yeah. it? Let's hope we break it, because yeah. I'm certainly in your camp. So so your side of BHP, um, that as I understand it, relates around corporate finance and management buyouts and buy-ins, mergers and acquisitions, business disposals, strategic planning, debt fundraising, asset-based lending. So just give us an overview of, of what your expertise and your department within BHP is, please. Yeah. I'd say in terms of my personal role, it's actually a lot wider than that. And that was the reason why I first joined BHP, yeah. which was it was all about help. You know, 50% of the time doing that stuff, 50% of the time trying to grow our business. And the bit that we talk to everybody about is for our part of the market, which we would crudely describe as the SME part and somebody turning over in simple terms, you know, 10 million to 100 million and making half a million to 5 million. And we've got lots of people below that. and We've got people greater than that is that they generally want one person who they can go to and talk to about everything. They don't yeah. expect them to do it. Yeah. And I always, I always say it's a bit like me dropping my car at the garage. I want someone to tell me. What they think I need to help with, I want them to ask me the questions so that I don't, you know, what I don't know, they can work out what is wrong. Mm -hmm. Give me a deadline, give me a price. I want to like them and have a relationship with them. And quite frankly, I don't care who does the work. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we, we spend a lot of time trying to get everybody just to ask those open questions and be really good at listening. Mm. And so a lot of what I do is just, I just want to meet interesting businesses. Yes. And if they're good enough to give us your time, I'll, I'll sort of back ourselves to be able to say we should be able to add value. Mm-hmm. And if we can add value, then why would somebody not going to want us to help them really? So, yeah. And it all comes back to, you know, we never want to sell any sort of accounting service. It's it's all about let's help people solve their problems. Solution later. Yeah. yeah. Um, because accountancy has got a reputation. So you're breaking that reputation into more solution-led, arm around the shoulder. What can we do to help you and, and de- develop your business? Yeah, to- totally. And, and also talking their language, not our language. Yeah. So far too often, you know, accountants will and lawyers will default to... Mm you know, what is internal language rather than actually just discussing the commercial point. And yeah. Well, you know me, Hamish. My uh, my knowledge of debtors and creditors is, is I always get them the wrong way around, but that's why when you introduced us to zero, it's a simple thing. Who owes you money? Who do you owe money to? Yeah. And that's how I like accountancy. So thank you for bringing us into zero. So, uh, so what's the... Uh, the highs and lows of corporate finance, then, in your experience? So, for me, I think it's, it is very much an emotional roller coaster, whether that's for myself and the team as an advisor or whether it's actually for the client. You know, for most of our clients, it's, you know, if they're looking to either buy their business for the first time or sell their business, it's usually the most important thing they will do in their business life. Mm. Um, and for us, that all comes down to relationship. And it's um, at the end of the day, you know, I will, you know, during a transaction, I'm probably on the phone to somebody quite often every day for six months. You know, sometimes that might be five minutes. Sometimes that might be your all day together. Yeah. And so the start point for us always is to try and only work with people we like. And the first time I said that, it sounded dreadful and I came across as really arrogant. But then as you get better at explaining what you mean, Mm. it just works because... You know, you want me to care as much as you care about the situation. And if we've got a personal relationship, you'll tell me more. And if you tell me more, I can hopefully prevent things going wrong, mm. but can also add more value. Mm. And then the business relationship works and then we go and have a bit of fun together and it just becomes easy, really. So. I, I am going to bottle that here, Miss, and use mm. it in my business because that analogy is is exactly my mantra and it, it, it works, doesn't it? Yeah. So, so people and finance... They're very emotional, aren't they? So you're almost a financial counsellor. Yeah. Because you're involved with between two parties of a negotiation, or maybe three or four, but yeah. it's a, a complex deal-making structure that you put together. Yeah, and I, th- I think I, I will see our, our role, you know, partly it's when the client's feeling down about something, it's to actually, you know, once try and set those expectations that there will, you know, every single deal has moments where, people feel down in the process. So it's trying to, to make to prepare them for it, but no matter how much you do that, people still take it personally mm. when they perceive it not to be going as quickly as they like or as yes. well as they like, or a problem comes out. And you know, a lot of lawyers out there are quite bad at highlighting problems. Yes. And yes. you know it will, and rather than telling somebody, we've got this, we'll deal with it, and it, you know, it might take us a week to resolve it. They say, we've got this huge problem. And, yeah, and yeah. So, so so our job is really just to try and, you know, man, manage that. But also when things are going well, that's the time where I think, you know, my job is to actually worry. 
So when everyone else is feeling happy about the situation, I'm sat there going, right, what do we need to be thinking about? What might happen in a few weeks? How do we, how do we you know, prevent yeah. this? Because um, that's internally for the team as well. So yeah, yeah. I presume until signatures are applied to a document, anything could still go wrong. So it's it's getting that confidence, isn't it, of all parties to make sure that they trust you and, and the whole team that's putting the deal together. Yes. And that's must be psychologically quite draining for you. I think it's a bit I love, actually. Yeah, yeah. right. So there's, there's nothing, nothing better than knowing that in actual fact, some you know, t- to me, the frustrating bit is if someone doesn't want to take my advice. Mm. So that whole piece of being able to take people along on the journey with you, actually, yes. whilst it's challenging, yes, it's it's actually great fun because you do know you're making a proper difference to mm. not, not normally just the client. It's actually quite often, you know, their other half, their kids, because people... Yeah, you know, no different to anyone else. They go home and sat around the you know the dining room table and they're chatting about how these things go and mm. they're, si- they're seeing that you know they're living and breathing it at home. Yes, um, yeah, you forget that, don't you? Yeah. As I suppose, well, you don't have to be a company's accountant, do you? No, do not at all. You're, you're, yeah. you're not an independent arm, but you are a, an arm of BHP that offers advice. So I suppose once the deal's done and the, the parties have all got the satisfactory outcome you hopefully will become their advisor going forward yeah. going forward yeah. so it's it's a win-win it's just this comfort factor isn't it on because so most business owners don't know what they don't know and it's always you're opening up a door you want to sell a business and they find you yeah and it's that for me in that similar position it's getting the information in a trustful way and not and, and just feeling feeling comfortable with with the person giving that information. So, how how do you approach first interviews and first chats to these companies owners that are trying to dispose of it? To, to me, it's it's really understand what their drivers are. That's that's the that, the number one piece is try you know work out whether or not that you can build rapport with them. And you know, I will go into every one of those first meetings working out not just whether they want to work with me, but it's a bit like trying to find an employee these days. It's, yes. do I want to work with them? Because, you know, if I'm going to spend six to 12 months of my life trying to make somebody a lot of money, yeah, then I want to make sure that I'm desperate to do it because I really like them. And I mean, that my, my favourite ever deal involves somebody from that point of view who we helped originally do a buyout sort of 10 years ago. It was private equity backed. Yeah. The private equity house wanted to appoint one of the big London uh, firms to sell the business. The MD stuck a foot down and said, I told you last time when Hamish was on the other side of the negotiation, I wasn't letting that happen again. I want him in my team. The rest of the board eventually appointed us. And so the two big national firms were obviously in the board mm. here every two weeks going, are you sure you made the right decision? And we got an absolutely outstanding result for everybody, whereby, you know, the fee was one of the biggest fees I've ever got as a result of beating the expectations by, you know, pretty much at 100% in terms of what the value of the business was. So to me, to have someone to have shown that confidence in myself and the team, yeah, and then to go and absolutely knock the ball out of the park, it was like, this is just brilliant. Very good, yeah. and that's why you get the, the high yeah. out of it. Yeah. So can you bring uh, finance into the negotiation? Do you have exposure to um, ways of financing the deal to make yeah. it all work? Yeah, so, so very much so. So everything from 
traditional banks to some of the alternative sources of you know from a banking point of view yeah. to so what we'd call sort of stretch debt type funds whereby they're almost halfway between private equity and debt right um, and then the sort of whole private equity market um, so there's loads of methodologies for funding deals yeah Lo- loads of methodologies loads of reasons why one may be work and why one might not work yes and and again it's you know particularly with private equity it's actually demystifying it for the clients because there's lots of financial tricks which you've either got private equity experience or you haven't it's not one of those whereby you can pick up a t- banking term sheet and yeah. you can take a look at an interest rate and go does it look all right does the quantum look all right and you know what what do the covenants look like with private equity there are a huge number of hidden areas some of which are non-negotiable so you're wasting your time even getting upset about it. you just need to understand that's the rules of the game and others whereby what might appear to be the best offer. Somebody might say they're only taking a 40% equity stake and somebody else might say they're taking 60%. But when you run those numbers based on what is hidden in the detail of that deal, Mm. in actual fact, the 60% deal might be the better deal for you. Yes. Yeah. So it's getting advice from the people that know, I suppose. Very similar to what we expect of our clients in that we ask them to listen to our advice because we're industry leaders in that side of things. So it's a it's a very much pushing the advice, pushing the, the almost the friendship and the solution-led um, event, yeah. isn't it? So so getting getting the combination of the people right in the deal is is so important, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and BHP can offer l- loads and loads of, of aspects of the deal yeah. in-house. We're, 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 we're control freaks at the end of the under day. Under your control, yeah. yeah. Because... You know, from our, our point of view, we're quite often, if, well, particularly on a sale, we'll be working contingently. Mm. And therefore, you know, the last thing I want is somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, yeah. ruining six or nine months hard work. I mean, I'll never forget the first deal that fell over for me when I became a partner. You know, we've been work, I've been working on it for a year. We got to completion. We've been in the completion meeting for about 18 hours when we get a phone call saying there's a fire at the premises out in Dubai. Somebody's died, um, which is obviously absolutely tragic beyond all belief. The the lawyers then start getting involved and say that under local laws, none of the directors should travel there at all for the foreseeable future because they're liable to be arrested as soon as they set foot in the country. Because their wow. corporate manslaughter laws are totally yeah. you're guilty until until proven innocent, particularly being an overseas business. And so we managed to just about get through all that, and everybody sort of gets themselves comfortable with the position and um, what have you, just from a deal, putting the sort of you know the personal yeah. side to one bit. And then one of the management buyout teams, who we were advising the sellers, produced a bit of paper and said. Um, I think I should give you this and gave it to the bank's lawyers. And it was an unsigned guarantee from the business to a French supplier. And what it meant in simple terms was the bank's security position, if this document had ever been signed, didn't exist. It had somebody with who ranked ahead of them for an unlimited amount of money and they had no idea how much that money could be. So the bank couldn't put, so the advice to the bank, yeah. and banks are very black and white, was, you cannot sign unless you're certain this hasn't um, been signed. 
management team asked the question, are you certain this hasn't been signed? And their answer had been, um, we don't know. At which point, about five minutes later, somebody, the bank's lawyer comes and speaks to me and says, this is what's going on. And to me, that was the classic case without naming the firm mm. if they weren't close enough to their client. Yes. Because if that had been my client, I'm very confident they'd have come and said to me, we found this, what should we do? I'd have asked the question, well, you know, do you think it's been signed? Well, no. Well, on that basis, there's, you've got nothing to do. You know, you no, no need to tell anyone about it. It doesn't exist. It doesn't, if it, yeah. you know, you're not lying. If, if no. you know, telling someone you had a document which you were going to sign that you didn't sign is no different to anything else. No. So it's irrelevant no. and it would have all taken place. As it turned out, the management team never got to buy that business. The deal fell over and then for various other reasons. And so, whereas they would have been in a position where they would have made an awful lot of money further down the line, um, the state employees for the next eight years wow. and retired. Wow. So yeah. from that experience, yeah. you built up and built up and built up to just do it. But that was the one time I took it personally. So I remember, because it was the first time it had happened to me as a partner, I remember driving, driving back across the M62 and just feeling so yeah. down. Yeah. And I vowed to myself that I would never allow myself to become emotionally attached to any of my deals. And so to me, it's it's all about my my job is when everybody else is getting feeling emotional is to actually just focus on the facts, focus on what you can control. Yes. Yes. And, and be that you know, be that steadying influence around it and and actually pick people back up when they are feeling down, whether that's our internal team, because. You know, for them, mm. particularly you'll see it with the younger people, when they the first deal falls over on them, and we don't have many deals fall over, it hits them like a brick because all the other stuff they've done has worked. Mm. And so they just think every single thing is going to be smooth. And yeah. what you learn is that there's, there's nearly always three or four points where everyone's telling it's going to be over. And actual fact with some, you know, clever outside the box type thinking and, you know, understanding both sides and what, what the issue is and where the risk is. You can nearly always come to a solution, um, and that's but you're experience. Only, yeah, experience, and you only do that through being calm in those situations and not. Yes, yes. So does does um, when properties are being sold? Sorry, when businesses are being sold, does the property itself form part of the negotiation ever? So our advice to everybody always is actually to maintain maximum flexibility, because we you know we'll see with particularly with the international buyers. Mm. Um, you know, some of them really are keen to own the property and some just don't want to own the property whatsoever. Right. And so for me, it's about get the offers on the table, understand their position with the property, mm. and then you've got a decision to make around that. Um, but also it's, it, the property sort of has got a lot of softer elements to it as well. So mm. when we're giving somebody a site tour, you know, that first impression of when they turn up is to, you know, what does reception look like? What do the meeting rooms look like? What you know? What sort of state is the factory if it's a mm. factory? And there's a balance there, which is, you know, is what they've got right for where the business is positioned? So if the business is supposed to be the most cutting edge business out there, it needs offices to match. Yes. And likewise, if you know the business is sits in a different part of the market, it might mean that they want something that is. I guess what you'd call mi mi middle of the road. Yeah, functional. Yeah, functional. Yeah. But the, the, the focus on culture and engagement mm. and everything else is so much greater now. And premises obviously play a yeah. one, you know, a, yeah. an important element within that. So Yeah, the physical physical well being is is the 
is the commercial environment and then obviously the mental well-being is part of the process within it but as a so is property when it comes down push comes to shove is the property just just an asset to talk about a bit like the machinery in a factory so when you when you're structuring a deal there's various assets on the table which the owners may or may not want to include in the deal yes it, 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 i mean it, it, with property it can be but yeah. you know we don't do we don't do many deals at all where somebody says, "I want to buy this business and I want to close this site within, you know, eighteen months." Right. And for a lot of our clients, whilst I would say probably eighty percent of people you advise will tell you, "I won't just go with the highest price." Mm. When push comes to the shove, it's amazing how many people will do that, and they will almost convince themselves that it's it's an okay deal. Right. But there is definitely an element whereby whilst they will change their view on certain buyers who they might not like because they're in the same industry and various things like that, mm. what they tend to all be passionate about is they don't want to sell their workforce down the road. So we're generally dealing with you know, people who have been involved in a business for a period of time. They've got friends within the business. They've got you know, a lot of the people will live in the same town or yeah. village or area as them. And, you know, they don't want to have their millions in the bank and then be going out for a bite to eat on the Saturday night with their wife and find that, you know, eight people in the restaurant aren't speaking to or going to the local pub and yeah. everybody walked to the other side because, you know, four of them were made redundant. and Because of the process. Because of the process. Mm. So that that's, tends to be uh, more and more of the case. And in fairness, there's less m and done in that way these days anyhow. Mm. To me, it's kind of, you know, that's lazy M&A. Where we're focused on, if we're trying to do it, is actually find a buyer whereby what they want to buy is a real high-quality business where they think the payback isn't going... You know, if they've offered 10 times for a business, their business plan internally probably is that they're going to get a three-year payback because they can see you've, that business has got something special, mm. which in actual fact, with investment and with the what the buyer can bring to the party they can roll it out on a far greater scale than has ever been achieved before. Mm. And, and and that is, that's where you really get the sort of CEO interest of these large businesses, which is, you know, if you think about CEO, CEO in a listed business might be there five years. So going and doing something which is going to be either a one-off win or actually um, take a long time to get there via doing it organically. What I really want to do is, how can I buy something that is a low risk way of me achieving exponential growth within my business? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what makes me look great. And that's what, if I've got shares, makes the share, the share price, price up. go up and therefore yeah. my, my remuneration and rewards. Yeah. So, do you know the, the different methodologies of, of buyouts? Is you just talk me through, I've always, I've obviously heard of a management buyout. How, how how would that be structured? How would that work? And what other buyout methodologies are there? Yes. So from a management buyout point of view, I think the starting point always has to be that, that everybody's sat on the same side of the table. So when I look at where deals work well and where they don't work well, it's where a process kicks off and you've got, the, you've got sort of two things that are going to happen, which is, You've got price, which is one of you is a buyer, one of you is a seller. And so if you can't agree that at a fair level, then it's just not going to work. 
and therefore everybody's wasting their time. Well, that's an early discussion, isn't and, it? And to, me, and to me, that should be a really early discussion. Yeah, right. because then you know what what money do you need to raise? Yeah, and 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 the, the other part that goes to that valuation is risk. So as a management team, if somebody says to me, "I want to sell you," I'll sell you my business, but I'm going to sell it to you for five million, mm. and you've all got to invest a hundred thousand pounds. I'll have a you know a really passionate view as to what the value should be. Now, if somebody says to me, I want you to buy my business for six million, but you're investing nothing, then in actual fact, if I'm clever, I shouldn't care. Because right now I'm being fairly treated at a place I like is the theory, and I'm being paid market value for what I do. With any management buyout, the way that that business ultimately gets paid for, whilst you might invest something yourself, even if I'm investing 100,000, the other sort of 4.9, 5.9 million is coming from the cash being generated by the business. Over a period of over time. Over a period of time. Right. So if I don't do the deal, I'm in exactly the same situation, but I'm never going to actually own the business. If I do the deal and I've got no personal risk, I've actually just improved the situation because if the business keeps doing what it's going to do for the next five, six years, I now own something that's, mm. whether it's worth six million, whether it's worth four million, whether it's worth five million, mm. is beyond my wildest dreams. Mm. Or my alternative is just to carry on as an employee, unless I'm going to leave. Mm. But if I leave, I'm probably not going to get a better opportunity in, from a financial point of view. And management buyouts are statistically proven to be way more successful than any sort of buy-in. So anybody who wants to, who thinks, you know mm. what, I'll resign, I'll go mm. and do it somewhere else, mm. is probably very, very naive. Interesting, right. So. So basically, the the company, the profits, pay the original owner out over a period of time at the agreed exposure, and that is there any other methodology? So, 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 so it might it might be that so, so in one extreme it could be that um, that that does happen that it's being paid out over a period of time. The other extreme is that you know we've got the price of six million and I go and raise two million pounds of bank debt. I might raise four million pounds of private equity, and the owner gets all of their money day one. Right. And the, the profits of the business are then used to repay the bank debt initially. Yeah. And then ultimately repay what's yeah. typically loan notes provided by the private equity house. And then everybody else gets their return when the business is eventually yeah. sold. But the managers continue on their remuneration and package throughout this process. So they're no worse off. But the benefit in the beacon is when the process runs its course and they become owners of the business. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, so, so to me, to me, it just comes down to what personal risk yeah. am I being asked to take to yes. do this? Yes. And there's a, you know, a bit like anything in life. If you give me something for free, then there's definitely no personal risk. But in actual fact, will I value it the same as the question I would always ask? And you want that, you know, I, you know, if, if it was my business, what do I want? I want somebody to put enough money in whereby they're thinking about it. Mm. And I want them getting, jumping out of bed, you know, at the earliest possible time and not hitting snooze eight times. But I don't want them waking up at three in the morning worrying about the business. Yeah, so. very, very. Yeah. Do you know what, Hamish? I could, I could talk to you for hours, but I think that's a really good summation of, of BHP's offering in the market. And I hope that our listeners have got a lot out of this discussion. And please contact Hamish Morrison at BHP or Phil Brown, Absolute Commercial Interiors, if you need any further advice. And once again, thank you very much, Hamish. And thank you, thank you for inviting me.
Thank you for joining us in yet another episode of our Should I Stay or Should I Go podcast. Join us again in the next episode for another insightful conversation with one of the UK's influential business leaders. See you next time.